Good morning. Uh, quick announcement, next Tuesday is going to be the one and only uh, Tuesday talk of the year in Hannah Bloomquist's, Hannah Leander's apartment. What time, Steph? 11 a.m., 11 a.m. Uh, also, it's family weekend uh, for all the families that are here with us. We're so glad you're here. Can we give them like a huge we love you round of applause? Thank you for bringing the sunshine with you. Um, we've been talking uh, last couple of chapels that I've done about Jesus ushering in the kingdom of the heavens, um, that which he was uh, speaking of so frequently and that which he brought in his person. And Paul, um, when he speaks, elucidates and teases out what that, uh, what that kingdom of the heavens looks like in so many uh, unique and special ways. And this morning, we're going to look um, at the first chapter of the book of Romans. And it's actually a really tender chapter. It's a tender chapter because it's a letter being written by a man whose life has been transformed to a group of people whose lives have been transformed in like manner, people that he's never met, a church that he did not plant, but it's one that he desperately hopes to visit. He hopes to visit them so that they can share their faith together, um, and he also wants to teach them and encourage them. But a letter is a, a very um, intimate thing. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have actually sat down, pulled out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, and put a dear so-and-so at the top and written a letter to someone. There's an intimacy, a vulnerability. There's something that I think pours out of us in kind of a unique way when we do that. And the Apostle Paul was doing just that. Um, I was kind of picturing him writing this letter this morning. and I don't know what it looked like. Did he have a scribe that he was speaking to? His eyesight wasn't great. But maybe, just maybe, he sat there and he did that. He pulled out a piece of parchment. He pulled out a pen and he began to write. Um, but it's a beginning of a letter that we know a lot of the words. And it's easy to kind of get lost in the theology of it, to get lost in the Romansness of it, but I don't want that to happen for us this morning. So we're going to move kind of slow. We're going to point out a few things, and I think we're going to get deep into um, Paul's heart and the heart of our God. So will you pray with me as we start? Father, we believe and know because of your faithfulness through all generations your love expressed in Jesus, your faithfulness to your church, that you love us and that you desire for us to know you and to hear from you. Your word is very much alive and speaks to our hearts. Will you please, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak the words that each individual person here needs to hear in exactly the way that they need to hear it this morning. Will you please give us tender hearts that your word might penetrate deeply? And will you be, please be present to us by the power of your spirit, which has the ability to change lives? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul begins the letter to the Roman church with this. I'm a bondservant of Christ, I'm called as an apostle, and I'm set apart for the gospel of God, the good news of God. God has good news for us, and it's this. It's a promise that he made beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. It's about his son, who was born as a descendant of David and who was born in the flesh. The son of God, fully man, fully God. That's the gospel of God, the good news. But then Paul says something really interesting. <clears throat> he says, who was declared the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by what? By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you ever thought about the resurrection of Jesus from inside of the tomb? The resurrection of Jesus is a very real event happened at a very real time, a very real place, in a very dark tomb with a very dead body of Jesus. And it's laying in the tomb, and he is dead. And something happens in the darkness. Have you ever thought of what happened in that darkness? What it may have looked like, sounded like? We don't know, but what we do know is this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was transformed into his glorified body and rose from the dead the first fruits of the new creation. There in the darkness of the tomb, he doesn't need the stone to be rolled away so that he can get out. He could have walked right through and out into the light. Jesus Christ declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Paul met this risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, whose eyes were as dark as that tomb because he was in slavery and bondage to the law, believing that he could be obedient to God by doing the right things. And he was good at it. But he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus actually makes him truly blind so that he'll actually be able to see. And in a few days, his eyes are open. And he now calls Jesus our Lord, his Lord. And Lord may seem a, a weird thing, I know, um, an, a kind of ancient term. We usually don't refer to someone as our Lord. But by virtue of the resurrection from the dead, by virtue of his appearance to Paul, Paul says, he is my Lord and he is our Lord. And here is the truth. Every single one of us in this room has a Lord. Every single person in this world has a Lord. It is either self or it is God. There's no way around those two options. And Paul says that Jesus declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection. He is the Lord. He's not only the Lord, he is the cornerstone. He is the very foundation of the kingdom of the heavens that he brought. So this is who I am. I am Paul. I'm a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I am one who has met the risen Christ. He is my Lord. And who I am also encompasses what I do 
by virtue of this. He says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles in behalf of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Something that just a, a short time before, Paul never could have imagined that he would believe that the Gentiles would have inheritance and place in the kingdom of the heavens, beloved by God. It was the Jews, it was the birthright of the Israelites, <clears throat> those who had the law, those who understood what it meant to be obedient to God. But Paul says we've received grace that will be extended to the Gentiles as well. Apostleship, we are messengers to bring about the obedience of faith. And this is an interesting thing. It's a great little phrase here. Obedience, I think, by the condition of our own hearts can be uh, almost a, an immediately negative thing, right? We think restrictive. We think controlling. If somebody wants me to be obedient, it's something that holds me in. But Paul has a wholly different idea in mind because Paul knows what it is to be trapped by obedience. Paul was obedient to the law. He was obedient to the law and to the uh, myriad of rules that they had laid on top of the law, all behaviors that indicated you were in a good and right space with God, in which Paul ultimately comes to say that this type of obedience to the law, it leads only one place. It leads to death. He says, but there's a different kind of obedience. There's an obedience of faith and he is now a messenger of God to bring about obedience of faith. And what is this obedience of faith? This obedience of faith is a beautiful obedience. It's the obedience of Abraham. It's the obedience of Abraham who understood and believed that God was faithful and understood and believed that God actually wanted his very best for Abraham. This obedience is an obedience that is born of trusting that God is true to his word and understanding that his desire is for us. That when he calls us to obedience, he's calling us to obedience for our best so that we will actually live a good life. When Jesus Christ calls us to obedience, to follow him, to take up our cross, to love as he loved, to not judge, to stay away from pride and greed and sexual immorality. It is not an obedience out of restricting. It's an obedience of faith. It's an obedience ultimately born of love because we look to our Father, we look to his faithfulness, and we say, I know that God desires the best life for me. And that best life is in Jesus Christ, in an obedience to him. And when we get that into the depth of our souls, obedience then becomes simply an act of love. It's an act of faith. This is obedience of faith as opposed to obedience to the law. To all in Rome who are beloved of God and called to be his holy people, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are beloved of God. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis and J.I. Packer um, have written 
somewhat extensively about their, their belief that more important than us knowing God is the fact that God knows us. He knows us in all of our weakness, our sin, our rebellion, and he loves us. But here, this is so lovely to all who in, in Rome who are beloved of God and called to be his holy people. Paul is telling the Romans that God's attitude toward you, and this is the foundation of all that has gone before, is intimacy and tenderness of the Father's love. That that is how God views his people. It's not in obedience to a father who is going to punish us if we are not perfect. It's instead obedience to a father who loves us with a father's love. And that love goes along with being called to be a holy people, a set-apart people. And when you hear holy people there, this is not God saying, this is what you have to become. It's saying, you are ushered into this by virtue of your relationship with me. Holiness is not what God is saying, you are saved, now become holy. It is something that you are by virtue of relationship with Jesus. So you are ushered into this holiness, this set-apartness that we might live with and for him. And that, the beloved of God, that is how God looks upon us. I hope you can hear that. I hope, I hope the Spirit can, can dig that down into your heart, that when God looks at you, he sees you and says, beloved, not disappointed, not angry, not wishing you could be just a little bit better, but sees you and calls you his beloved. When we talk about putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and God looks upon us and sees that righteousness, it's not that he no longer sees us. He sees us very clearly. I am still Grant Morgan Lowe, and you are still you. You're just bearing the gift that God has extended to us in Christ. And God looks at us and says, beloved. Well, by virtue of who Paul is, by virtue of who we are, there's a sweet thing that happens when people come together who know Jesus. And Paul sets in and he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. He's talking about them all the time. He's praying for them. Always in my prayers, requesting if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I will succeed in coming to you. This is a brother who wants to go be with his brothers and sisters. Paul is praying for it, and he's hoping that at last, by now, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you. And here's why. Here's why Paul wants to go visit them. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That I may impart some spiritual gift to you that your faith may be strengthened. 
that you may be established in your faith, rooted and grounded. And my question is, you probably already know the next, but anyway, when you hear that before you go on, what do you think Paul is talking about? What kind of spiritual gift do you think he's going to impart to them? What do you think? Is he going to impart some uh, uh, um, unexpected, miraculous gift that's going to ground them in their faith? I think when we hear that, we may think that Paul is going to impart something that maybe we don't have access to, a type of gift that only Paul could give. But then listen to what he says. He says, I want to impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, and here's the spiritual gift. Here's what Paul wants to impart to them. That I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Okay, do you hear that? Do you know what the spiritual gift that Paul wants to impart to them is? He wants to live life alongside them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, living in obedient love to God the Father, together, encouraging one another. See, Paul knows what relationships are like when your vocation is religious and you are bound by law. All of his relationships in the entire world were impacted and derived from his view of the law, from his view of God, from his view of having to behave in a particular way, and now he is free. No longer are his people of blood and behavior. Now his people are family. They're brothers and sisters. And Paul says, I want to come, and I want to impart a spiritual gift to you that you may be strengthened. And here's what it is. The gift that I want to give to you is a gift of the, all of us living together in obedience to our Savior. Encouragement both ways is the spiritual gift that he wants to impart. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you, just as also among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to the uncultured, both to the wise and to the foolish. The gospel is for everyone. And I hope you guys hear this, right? In our context, don't miss this. Don't forget this. Don't let this sit at the front of your minds when you think about this place where you live and study. We have the privilege of imparting spiritual gifts to one another every single day as we live our faith out in community, encouraging one another in our obedience. Uh, Bonhoeffer, um, in Life Together, he's talking about what a blessing that is and how easy it is to forget it. Listen to his, his words here. He says, it's true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual community is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, that's us, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart 
Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. That's the spiritual gift that Paul is talking about. And then he goes on. He says, so, for my part, I cannot wait. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, Paul's not so much talking about not being embarrassed by it. He's saying, I will not be sorry that I put my faith in it because it is the power of God. And the power of God is an omnipotent God power for salvation to everyone who believes. And that is, is a strong and powerful and a noteworthy word there. It's not was, it's not will be. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone in this room who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus by the power of God, the gospel, save to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is for the whole world. And then Paul says something interesting, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And I'll tell you, honestly, you can read so much about this. What does it mean the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith? Um, there are so many different opinions. So I'll, I'll, offer, I'll offer what I think that Paul is saying here. And I think that it's consistent with what he's saying in the rest of the passage. I think that what Paul is saying here is, in the gospel that saves us, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith that saves to obedience of faith in love. From faith that you grabs your heart to faith that is lived out of the love of your heart. So it's faith to life, it's belief to living, and the two go together. And I think what's interesting here is the righteousness of God is revealed when that happens. When in faith we come to Christ and are saved, and then to faith as it's lived out in our lives. That's what Paul's talking about, the obedience of faith earlier. The two go together. It is life transforming. It is life giving. It is a picture of the gospel grabbing a heart and then pushing your life with its very life. The reality is we are the salt of the earth. We are lights on a hill. And this is just us saying when we live like it, the righteousness of God is revealed in those lives because it's a righteousness of God alone that can save and transform sinners. So when we live as obedient, set-apart, holy people, there's only one way that that could happen, and that's by the righteousness of God coming in and indwelling us. All right. Uh, that's basically Paul's <laughs> greeting, um, and it's a good greeting. 
and I have to ask your forgiveness um, because I know what I'm about to do. But uh, about a week or so ago, uh, I was in my uh, living room, and it was midday. It was it was kind of dark out there. It was kind of a deep gray darkness, and and it was raining pretty good, right? Rain is coming down, and I look out. And we have these kind of bare trees right outside our window, right? Um, and there is a single, solitary squirrel. And, and he's sitting on the branch, and it is absolutely pouring on him. I have never seen this in my life. Have you, no, for real, think about this. Think of all the thousands of squirrels you've seen. Have you ever seen a squirrel just sitting in the rain? No, because they don't do that. So I got up and I walked to the window to make sure I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. And I was seeing exactly what I thought I was seeing. And I so desperate, like, I so desperately wanted to know the story. Like, what is going on with this squirrel? Like, squirrel, tell me your story, right? Um, and he looked exactly like you would think. Like, have you ever seen a wet koala bear? It's the scariest, right? It's the scariest thing on the planet. Look, look up wet koala bear uh, after chapel. It, it's, it's frightening. And that's what a wet squirrel looks like, just smaller and with a bigger tail. It was awful. But I'm looking at him, and I so desperately wanted to know his story, and I don't know, perhaps I am, my head is such, and my heart is such that God has to dumb things way, way, way down for me, and squirrels is like how he's doing it right now. <laughs> but I looked at that squirrel, and I could not help think, oh, that's just like me. Like, that's my life. I'm standing in the rain, getting poured on, and look the absolute utter mess, right? And it kind of matches sometimes what's going on in here. And I'm, I'm guessing that resonates, right? Because we all know the depth of our sin. We all know the depth of our brokenness. We all know the stuff. We all know our own stories. But I want to remind you, this story is yours. There is a gospel of God and it is his good news. Jesus was dead and was raised to life, glorified, the first fruits of a new creation. Jesus calls people to beautiful obedience out of love because we know that he loves us and calls us his beloved. He calls us that because he is our father. And we encourage one another with the gift of living our faith out together. And when we do that, we see the righteousness of God revealed in our midst. And we become a living, walking, breathing temple where the glory of God is greater than it ever was in the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, we're going to do even greater things as a church than he did while he was here. That's 
our story. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being gracious and so very kind and so very faithful. Please, Lord, will you um, burrow the love and the power of the gospel deep into our hearts that we might live in love and gratitude. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.